You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We are in our second part of our series on the book of Jude, and we're talking about contending for the faith. Right now, this weekend, we have 50 of our young people with the youth leaders away at a boot camp, youth leadership boot camp weekend, and they are over there training, getting developed in learning how to contend for the faith. And that's something that definitely Jude, the book of Jude, and what we need to learn to do as Christians, we need to learn how to contend for the faith. We learned last week that the word contend is similar to the idea that if somebody invades your house, you will fight for your family. And it's the same picture that we have in our mind. Fight for truth. Fight for the Word of God. You know, Sophie and I have been married this year um, 29 years. How did that happen? 29 years, right, later this year. And, um, you know, on, on the 10th wedding anniversary, on the 20th wedding anniversary, on the 25th wedding anniversary, uh, I went to a specific shop because I understand that the husband is not the girl's best friend, nor is the dog the, dog the girl's best friend, but diamonds are a girl's best friend, according to that uh, advert that's cost us billions over the years, yeah? And, and I, when we got engaged, 29 years ago, we, 29 years ago this year, um, I went to a jeweler's, jeweler's said, listen, I'm, I'm getting engaged and, and, and we looked at diamond rings, et cetera, et cetera. But how many of you know, 99.999999999998% of the population have got no idea if it's a real diamond or not. Come on, if you've been and you've bought a diamond, you know, you are relying on someone who you've just met for the very first time to tell you, of course it's a diamond. Look at the cut, look at the clarity, look at the stone. And you're like, yeah. And then they give you a certificate that could have been manufactured upstairs in the back room by, 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 by you know, an apprentice. And you're like, oh, okay. And you spend how much money on something that you are praying to God, am I right, that it's real and not a fake. You're trusting people. It's kind of really what Jude is talking about. In a day and an age, 2,000 years ago, and similar today, how do we know what truth is? How do we know what fake is? How do we know if we're contending for the truth or we are being diverted, deceived by falsehood? How do you know that as your pastor, I'm preaching the truth instead of preaching something that's fake? This is what Jude is leaning into here. That's why Jude is saying everything he says in the one chapter in the book of Jude. N.T. Wright, one of the greatest modern day theologians, he writes this, find people who today are saying that God loves everyone exactly as they are, so everyone must stay exactly as they are, doing all the things they want us to do because God is so full of generosity that obviously He wants us to do them. Find people who today are saying that Jesus is one religious teacher among others one way of salvation among others, that there might well be a variety of paths up the mountain of which, of which Jesus' path is only one, that it's important not to make exclusive claims 
or we will be arrogant. Find such people and you have found those whom Jude is writing to. He's saying all through the chapter, contend for faith. So how do we contend for the faith? Well, the Bible says this, the book of Jude, here's our passage for this week, 20 and 21. It says, but you dear friends in audacious church, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. He says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Let me give you two ways that we build up our faith. And then in a moment, we're gonna talk about praying in the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're gonna spend a lot more time leaning into praying in the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna have some ministry around that also. Build yourself up in the most holy faith, he says. How do we do that? Two ways. Number one, I wanna encourage you, we do that by reading the Word. Come on, we do it by reading the Word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the what? The Word of God. Not the words of a friend, a spouse, a, a family member, a pastor, an apostle, a prophet, but by hearing the very words of God is what he says. So here's a question. Why do we believe that the Bible is the very words of God? Why do we believe that? Well, we could talk about faith, the faith dimension, and we would do that often in the life of the church. But let me give you three tests or three proofs regarding why we believe the Bible to be the Bible, the Word of God. And the first proof is this, is what we're calling today the bibliographic test. The bibliographic test has three things in support of it as to why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Firstly, we talk about the quantity of manuscripts. Just how many ancient manuscripts of the Bible actually are still in existence today? When we talk about ancient texts, did you know this? That there are 2,000 ancient manuscripts written about, um, about Homer by Homer. There are only seven ancient text, texts talking about Homer written by Homer. 49 about Aristotle. About Caesar, there's 10. And let's face it, nobody would ever question their existence and the things that they write, these ancient manuscripts. But what about the Bible? Well, here's what we have regarding the Bible. There are 6,000 Greek Old Testament ancient manuscripts alone. Just the New Testament, 6,000. There's also 8,000 in Latin and 1,000 in other languages. So the sheer quantity of manuscripts that support and give evidence to the Bible is absolutely vast. So we have quantity of manuscripts, but we also have the quality of manuscripts. Do you know the Jews um, revered Scripture so much and the translation process that the way they would make copies of the ancient texts is they would have one who would be reading out of the text there would be another who would be writing it down and a third one would stand behind watching that what was being read was true and watching what was written was actually that which was being read. And so the quality of the manuscripts 
that we have is amazing. And the third thing that supports the bibliographic test is this, is the time span. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, actually found in a cave, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the manuscripts of scriptures written between 200 BC and 60 AD. In other words, friends, we get the account of what took place in the Bible very soon after the occurrences took place. Not centuries later, but as it was happening, things were being written down. And as things had just happened, they were written down. So we have the bibliographic test, which supports the Bible as proof for us that it's the Word of God. The second test is what we're calling the internal test today. In other words, the way the Bible speaks about itself. Did you know in the Old Testament, 3,808 times it says, these are the very words of God. It's the internal test. It's, it's, it's self-justifying. And for some people, that's, that's, well, that, that's, that's not a good enough test, Glenn. That's like me saying to you, I'm the best tennis player in the world. You'd look at me and go, yeah? And you'd say, prove it. So when we think about the internal test of the Word of God being brilliant, being self-validating, somebody, a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner, he writes this, he says, he applies the modern science of probability to just eight prophecies regarding Jesus Christ. Eight prophecies that were told many years before, hundreds of years before. The chance that any man might have fulfilled all of the one prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th. That would be one in 100 quadrillion. The chance that Jesus could fulfill just eight of the prophecies. He says this, take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on their face in Texas. They will cover all of the state of Texas two feet deep. Now mark one of these dollars and stir the whole mass in the whole state two feet deep thoroughly. Then blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one marked silver dollar. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Same, the prophets would have had of writing those eight prophecies and having them all come true in the one man, Jesus Christ, providing that they wrote them in their own wisdom. Stoner then considers 48 prophecies about Christ and says, we find the chance that any one man fulfilled all 48 to be one in 10157 or in one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. It should be quite evident in the mathematical and scientific age that Jesus did not fulfill the prophecies by accident. I mean, even if you still don't believe that the Word of God is the very words of God, then that's got to give it some credibility at least. So we've got the bibliographic test, we have the internal test, and we also have the external test because it's amazing how even today archaeological finds are actually discovering that what the Bible has said is true. Josephus, the first century historian, he wrote about Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, James, John and other accounts that we read about in the New Testament. 
But beyond that, we're seeing these archaeological discoveries supporting the Bible text. Back in September 2019, the Daily Mail had an article. It said this, slag heaps from ancient copper mines in southern Jordan and Israel reveal the ancient biblical kingdom of Edom. It was real, scientists claim. The biblical kingdom of Edom was long thought to be a fairy tale, a myth, but scientists now think that they have found proof of its existence in a controversial new finding. So not only do we have the bibliographic test and the internal test, but the external test is showing us that as people are doing more and more research and discovery, they're finding that the Bible is accurate in the historical stories that it speaks about. That's amazing. And what's one of the reasons why we believe the Bible to be the Word of God, beyond faith. I mean, we haven't even got to faith and we're not even talking about the faith dimension right now. But friend, I'm here to tell you something, that when you read the book, when you read the Bible, it builds up your faith. Something happens on the inside. You, you, you get stronger, you get stronger by reading the book. If I was the devil, I would get you disinterested in the book. I would get you too busy to read the book because the devil understands the power of the Word of God. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. Did you know the angels in heaven saw it take place? Do you know all through the millennia, the devil has seen the power of the Word of God at work. God's Word works. When God speaks, when you get a revelation, something begins to happen. It's a book that when you read it, it begins to read you. And as you read it over time, come on church, things begin to happen, strength comes. We got people in our church, right? We got men who come into our church. They got muscles on muscles, right? I mean, these boys are, are, are muscular boys. We got girls in our church who work out all the time. And here's something that I know. If you go to the gym for the first time and you've never been, how many of you know you're not gonna push as much as those who've been faithful going into the gym three, four and five times a week? You look at them in the gym, go, man, how do I get guns like that? How do I get a body and a physique and a stamina like that? Well, you gotta get in the gym. It's the same with the book. We build up our faith by going into the book and you begin to find that the things that used to rattle you don't rattle you anymore. It's like, it's like, it's like a, you know what I'm talking about? It's like water off a duck's back. It's a, you, you begin to realise, ah, oh, it used to affect me. It doesn't affect me anymore. Why? Because you read the book. You built up your holy faith. And even when it makes no sense to you, it makes sense to God. Even when the Word doesn't actually comprehend, you look, you're looking at Leviticus going, what is Leviticus all about? God is doing something deep down in your spirit, building your faith, building your faith. Jude says, if you don't build your faith, you're gonna buy a fake diamond ring. You're gonna get hoodwinked by something that's not true. So build your faith. The second way we build our faith, friends, is through praise. Praise builds our faith. There's something about praise. Now I've gotta tell you about praise. Praise is an outward demonstration of an internal revelation. You can't do this and tell me you're praising. That's not the way praise worked in the Bible. Praise had a demonstrative effect. 
It affected people's faces. It affected their hands. It affected their movement. It affected them because it was an outward demonstration of something on the inside. You say, well, Glenn, I'm I'm phlegmatic. I'm laid back. I'm chilled. I'm not the demonstrative type person. I'm here to tell you that when you get a revelation of the God of heaven and earth, it affects everything about you. Lifting your hands makes sense. Clapping makes sense. Dancing makes sense. Because now you are working outward everything that God put in. It's Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's saying you got to work out everything God put in. And sometimes, friends, you've got to shake off your Englishness, your Africanness, your conservativeness, your shyness. And you've got to say, hey, make room, make room, make room. Because here's what praise does, right? Praise positions God in His rightful place. You ever find yourself going to bed at night and, and, and you start to dwell on your problems and your heart begins to sink and you, and, and you end up going down a, a rabbit warren. And so what do you do? You, you end up doom scrolling in order to distract yourself. And before long, it's two o'clock in the morning and you feel sadder and more depressed than anyone else. Why? It's because you've, you've elevated problems. Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify means to make larger. You get a magnifying glass when you can't see up close and so you wanna make it larger. We have a natural tendency to magnify our problems, but when you magnify the Lord. When you go to bed, having read the book, uh, the words of Scripture begin to come back to you. you. You begin to remember. And now you're positioning God in His rightful place. You're going, hang on a minute. He, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why am I worried about tomorrow? Uh, he's the God who heals. He's the God who sets free. He's the God of breakthrough. He's the God who goes before. He's the God who leads me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And you find that now putting God in His rightful position, now what you're doing is you're elevating Him over the problem. Now you're getting God's eye view. The devil doesn't want you to get God's eye view. The devil wants you to get your eye view. Oh, the problem's so big, it's so massive, it's so vast. But God's eye view is huge. A few years ago, I flew over Kilimanjaro. The pilot said, lady, look out, ladies and gentlemen, look out the right-hand side of the plane, there is Kilimanjaro. And I went, that looks small. And a few years before that, I flew over Ayers Rock in Australia. It's a big rock when you drive up to it, it's this vast thing. And from, from here, but, but, but from the skies, you look down on the rock and you can't even see it's a problem. Friends, you're worried about what? You're, you're losing sleep over, over what? No, I get it. In our humanity, it's huge, yeah? But when you get into the book and you elevate God through praise, you begin to see what He sees. And I gotta tell you, church, the devil hates it. The devil hates it because you stole his job. You know, the devil, Lucifer, was created to give God worship, but because of pride, he was cast out of heaven. And now when you praise, you're doing the very thing that Lucifer can't do anymore. You, you've made him redundant. The devil hates it. That's why we come late to church. That's why we don't lift our hands. That's why we don't sing. That's why we find it difficult to sing the songs of praise because our emotions are ruling and ruining us. People say, would you just listen to your heart? Talk about the worst advice ever for anything. The Bible says the heart of a man or woman is deceitfully wicked above all things. My praise comes from the position that I take 
having read the book to put God in His rightful place. And now I got a revelation of things and I got to realise I've got a reason to praise. You see, when you praise, you're saying to the devil, don't talk to me. Talk to the one who crushed your head. When, when you're giving God praise, you're saying, hey, don't deal with me. I'm not my own. I was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know that because you read the book. It's, it's like this perfect deflection syndrome. It's like you've become the perfect politician in front of the media and the cameras. When you've asked a question, but you don't answer it, you deflect it. You become a politician, a spiritual politician because you're saying, devil, I ain't talking to you. You're a goner. I've read the last page. You are done. You have no authority, you have no control. I'm not giving you any power in my life anymore. Talk to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jehoshaphat in, 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 in 2 Chronicles 20, 2 Chronicles 20, he's called, you ever heard the phrase jumping Jehoshaphat? Maybe it's because he was a praiser. Maybe, maybe he was a white man. He, he, he couldn't dance, but he could jump. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and he's, he's with God's people. And the Bible says there's this massive, vast army around them. And, and Jehoshaphat and all the people, they're fearful for a moment. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat says this, Lord, we don't know what to do. That's what you say at two o'clock in the morning when you're doom scrolling and your thoughts are spiralling out. I don't know what to do. But he says this, my eyes, my eyes. Our eyes, our eyes are on You. He goes on to say, the battle is the Lord's. So just praise. Now I'm here to tell you that when you praise, when you properly praise, when you properly praise, when you properly praise, you build yourself up. When you properly praise, put Him in His rightful place. I'll tell you what happens. What happens in your life is what happens in 2 Chronicles 20. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on You. And the Bible says, and God set an ambush for the enemy. Who defeated the enemy? Jehoshaphat? Nah, God did it. We don't even know what the ambush looked like. We don't even know the nature and the shape of it. But we know this, that in a vulnerable moment, they praised and God did something. Friends, that's why the devil doesn't want you to praise. Because when you praise, God sets ambushes. Sometimes the answer to your breakthrough is not even a prayer, it's a praise. So, so the, the answer to your breakthrough is not in the medicine cabinet, it's in your praise, it's in your mouth. The answer to healing and wholeness and strength and increase, it's actually in your mouth. Beyonce said, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. The Bible says, if you like it, you gotta put your praise on it. Something start praising like He already. New song. Come on. You already believe. If you're believing, I got for something. Put a praise on it. Put a praise on it. Hey! If you're believing, I got for something. Stop praising like you've already received. If you're believing, I got for something. Come on, put a praise on it. Put a praise on it. Put a praise on it. Hey! Hey! If you're believing, I got for something. Somebody pray. 
point between what you've seen God do or you know that God has done in the past and the tension of where you're going and the challenges. But right in the middle, what we're gonna do is we're gonna put our praise on it. So here's what I want you to do. I I want you to think about, think about your next season. Think about tomorrow, think about today. Think about this next month. Think about this next year. And let me read to you right now from Jude 24, the greatest doxology praise moment in the Scriptures, I believe. Now to Him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious majesty without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Here's what I want you to do, right? Is we're gonna do something that we should never do in church. Every now and again, every now and again, Luke has lost his his mind and and he said said things like this in worship. Hey, forget the person next to you. If ever the preacher or the pastor or or, or worship leader says that, say, you gotta understand that they don't know the Bible. Because the Bible's not forget the person next to you. The Bible is remember the person next to you. Christianity is not me-centric, it's about us, it's about community. And how many times have you been in church, you didn't wanna praise, but it was somebody next to you saying, come on, lift your hands, Pastor Glenn's looking. Or <laughs> well, you didn't wanna get to church, you know, you, you, you know, you're starting to run out, you better hurry up, Pastor Glenn's gonna be on the door, he's gonna see us walking in late. You know, we hold ourselves, we keep ourselves accountable, right? But I want us to make this, this doxology personal. So we're gonna read this together. I want us to read this together out loud. And every time it talks about you, I want you to put in there, me. Make it personal for a moment. Let's do this together. Read it out loud, ready? Now to Him, come on, who's able to keep me from stumbling and to present me before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, my Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, my Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Here we go, you ready, you ready? Think about what God has done. Think about where you're about to go. Let's put a praise on it. If you believe in our God, 
Come on, praise goes before the breakthrough. Put a praise on it, put a praise on it. If you're believing I've got for something, stop praising like you've already received. If you're believing I've got for something, to put a praise on it, put a praise on it. Hey, if you're believing I've got for something, come on, for your healing, for your breakthrough, for the miracle in Jesus' name. from the top, okay? Beginning to end, back into the middle, back to the end, back to the beginning, because it's an amazing journey of praise, positioning God. Here's the thing, right, is when you properly praise, it changes you from the inside out. I mean, properly praise. Friends, listen, I just want you to know, Audacious Church in our praise, we're a demonstrative church. I think it's time, if if this is your church, it's time to get your hands out of your pockets. It's time to lift your hands to heaven. It's time to clap and give Him praise and make some noise. Listen, it may not be your cultural background, whatever that is, but I wanna tell you, it's kingdom culture. And we haven't got time to get in every passage of the Old Testament, New Testament. We could be here for a hundred years looking at it, but praise is this demonstrative thing. He says, build yourself up in the most holy faith. I love that. The Word, a praise. And then He says, and I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit. We're gonna spend some time tonight focusing on praying in the Holy Spirit. But friend, I want you to know something. Something amazing happens when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Do you know in the book of Acts, we have this moment where, 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 where the, these disciples of, of Christ said to them, have you encountered the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. You know, it would be fair to say in Britain and in Geneva right now, it would be similar. Most people have heard the name Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but they've got no idea what the Holy Spirit does. I'm here to tell you that when the Holy Spirit touches your life, everything is different. It then becomes easier to read the book and easier to praise because you're actually, you've got a, got a power source in you that's not human, it's, it's divine. In Acts chapter one, Jesus says these words. He says, I want you to wait because my power is gonna come on you. The Bible word power, the Greek word is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite. God says, my dynamite is about to come on you. The next thing that happened is this, is when the Holy Spirit was given in Acts chapter two, the Bible says that 120 people in the upper room began to speak in tongues. They encountered the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's crazy. Jesus in His resurrected body 
He saw 500 people. He appeared to 500 people, but there were only 120 in the upper room. It's amazing there was 120. Where were the other 380? I don't know what decision-making process they went through, but I do know this, that 120 ended up gathering. The dynamite, the power of God was given. The Holy Spirit was given. They spoke in tongues. The next thing that happened is that Peter, who'd been frail and feeble, Peter, he preaches his first sermon and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. 3,000 people, such is the power of God. The power of God in you, friends, will change everything. We don't need another church service. We need the power of God. The the church service gets us here, but it's the power of God that changes us. It's the presence of God in our families and in our lives and in in our sleeping hours. It's the presence of God that changes us. You know, we need to get out of here. I I heard a story many, many years ago, read a story about an Indigenous North American who owned a vast tract of land. And some oil magnates discovered oil on the land. And so he signed a contract that meant he would receive 7% of all the profits of all the oil that was dug from his land. And literally overnight, this man became a billionaire. Months and months later, the oil magnates came back to this small town where this man lived and noticed that he still wore the same clothes and he still walked everywhere and still kind of nothing had changed in his life. And they said to him, do you not know how rich you are? Don't you know what you can do with, with, with what you've got now? And he says, I'm okay. And then, and then they said, you can, do, you can buy whatever you want. And the, one of the oil magnates threw a magazine on the table. It opened up to a page where there was a Cadillac there. And this man, he owned all this land. He said, I want that. And so they said, it'll be with you in six weeks. Six weeks later, he got delivery of this brand new top of the range. Cadillac and the whole town came out to see this beautiful car and this man was celebrating it. Next day there was commotion because everybody started to come out of the shops and the hairdressers and and different things because here was this man, this owner of this brand new Cadillac and he's in the driver's seat going slowly down the middle of the high street. And then he got out of the driving seat and he sat in the passenger seat. He crawled through the middle and sat in the back and then he stood up through the sunroof and everybody was cheering and laughing because here's what the man did. He had this Cadillac, he had this engine, but he'd hooked it up to a horse and he was being pulled by one horse. There are many Christians who are one horse Christians. We're doing things in our own strength. We believe in Jesus, we received Him, yes, but when the Holy Spirit, the power of God is in you, it is amazing the effect He says, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Come back tonight. We're gonna spend some time on that. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 